and welcome to From the Rooker Inn, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. With me today is Mike. John Mooney. Good day to you, sir. Good day. And we're joined for our now bi-weekly podcast uh, with The Athletic's Watford correspondent, Adam Leventhal. Thank you very much for the introduction, gentlemen. Thank you. We're going to talk all things uh, that are going on in Watford uh, and around Watford and uh, the investigations Adam has been doing for The Athletic. Remember, you can get a 90-day free trial to see what The Athletic is all about. It's only been going, or not quite a year yet, and you might not have had a a taster. Go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end uh, and you can get 90 days to have a see what it's all about. We're going to talk about several different things. Let's start with with something that's come from the club this, this Saturday. Scott Duxbury made a statement uh, about where he is and where Watford are about this whole season finished or not or paused or what's going to happen. And, and, and Watford fans have been quite refreshed, I think, about its honesty. I was pleased to see the nature of, uh, of the announcement that Scott Duxbury made at the weekend. It was very, very clear, very unambiguous. It basically said that Watford are opposed to playing at neutral venues and he gave very compelling reasons why. And he used Liverpool as the Liverpool fixture at home, which Watford obviously comfortably won. He used that as a case study and said that Watford wouldn't win that without uh, home advantage and all the, uh, all the added sort of benefits that playing at home brings. And I think it's important that Watford are... Uh, transparent in saying that um, because it, it nails their colours to the mast and it's, people have been talking a lot in the in the past couple of weeks about the bottom six how, looking after their vested interests and Scott was very clear that yes we are looking after their own interests because that is the most important thing for Scott Duxbury and Watford Football Club for us watching on as supporters or for Adam working in the, in the press there's obviously layers of importance to football to us as football f- supporters the reality is if if we wake up after this pandemic is finished and Watford are playing in the Beza Home League, Homes League, as supporters, it doesn't actually matter that much to us. But to Scott Duxbury and and the and the players and the staff who rely on Watford for, for their livelihood, where Watford are in the pyramid is incredibly incredibly important. So I was quite surprised to see, initially quite surprised how Blunt, if you like, Scott Duxby was saying that, yes, we are looking after our, our own interests. But then you, you think about it, it's like, well, he's absolutely right to do that. There's been a lot of talk in the in the weeks lead, in the, in the weeks preceding the statement about the, the bottom six. They've all been lumped in together as this sort of mithering group of, uh, of football clubs who are trying to get out of uh, their obligations and trying to weasel their way out of relegation. And there will still be people that argue that. But of course, if you flip it on its head, a lot of this rush, I think, has come about partly due to the government. It seems like they're very clear for, for football to come back and Scott Duxby alluded to the fact that football will likely come back sooner than later but also there's this UEFA deadline isn't there that means that, that football has to be completed by a certain date so there's teams at the other end of the table who, uh, who've who got either titles to win or European places to play for that are pushing things to suit their agenda so like it or, or not every club has to has to look after their own interests. We knew that they would do that all along anyway because they're a professional business in a, in a cutthroat industry. So to see them come out and, and do it so publicly, so coherently and so clearly was refreshing because now if anyone wants to argue with it, they have to come up with a with a clear and cogent argument as to why um, it is fair and it is safe for, for Watford to continue. So part surprise, but 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 very pleased to see it. And uh, I think it was a sensible move from, from Scott Duxbury and Watford. Uh, it was, like I say, uh, well received by Watford fans and differently by other fans of different football clubs. But I suppose, uh, Adam, one of the stories that you wrote about was about the contracts of, of Watford 
for players and the ones that are running out. And it's been a thing that's been talked about. Big names are sort of, uh, are they going to stay? Are they going to go? Uh, Holobas, Heredia Gomez, Adrian Mariapa and Ben Foster. I, by the way, I just realised I didn't call him Jose Holobas, maybe because he is like Madonna. He is Holobas. Uh, but yeah, those, are, those are the four gentlemen who... You could have called him a lot of different things, but yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you just start with yeah, Holobas. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's the one who... Uh, they are the ones whose contracts are ending. And if this season comes back or it doesn't come back, it's, it's quite a big thing for, for players like that. You know, Mike did rightly talk about all the staff that are at these football clubs and what's happening with them. But the, these players in particular, um, they're all going to be out of contract or they should be out of contract at the end of, is it mid-June? Yeah, it's June the 30th. That's when, you know, most football contracts expire. So um, obviously we're now in a situation whereby if Project Restart does kick on, uh, that they'll be playing beyond that. So it's now a situation whereby an extension has been essentially provisionally agreed with the Premier League to allow players to play beyond the natural end of their contracts. But, you know, you've mentioned those four players. This is just another subplot to the the overall story of, of football in this country at the moment, that you have differing concerns for different players. You know, obviously, whether they actually want to be playing football now um, or if they want to be playing football for a football club that they potentially might be leaving because uh, they might end up getting relegated. And that, you know, brings in Ben Foster, for example. If, if Watford get relegated, my understanding is that the likelihood is that he would want to stay as a Premier League goalkeeper. Um, so his future is very much in the, in the pending tray. For the other three players, for Jorelio Gomez, obviously someone who's you know, playing very closely alongside uh, Ben Foster and they're seemingly very, very good friends. He's coming to the end of his career. Um, and it may well be that Watford will say, well, actually, maybe we could get another a season out of him in the in the championship because of that slight drop down in level. But then you bring in Backman and Dahlberg, who they're not the, uh, the two guys in the Muppets. They are our two other uh, reserve <laughs> goalkeepers um, who were sort of stranded and, and kept by the club when potentially they should have been going out on loan far earlier. So they've got a lot of considerations to look at according to their, their playing staff in terms of the goalkeepers. And then you've got two defenders as well with Holobas. I think he's almost certainly going to leave with Mariapa. He's obviously a, you know, a, a club legend and it would be a real shame if his last piece of meaningful action is, is scoring that own goal uh, against Brighton. It would be a cruel way for him to, to go out at the football club. But it, it all depends on what division Watford are going to be playing in. If, if we stay up, then Foster will probably stay. If we go down, um, then maybe Mariapa and Gomez might stay because they might be better suited to playing in the championship. Who knows? But it also then has a knock-on effect on what players Watford would want to sign as well. And there's, you know, been goalkeepers linked. There's one that I mentioned in the piece. Uh, there's the question of whether Watford want to strengthen in the, you know, the age-old position of buying in a, a centre-half that is going to be an upgrade on the players that they uh, have at the moment. So many things to be thrown into the mix, but it all depends on Project Restart. So that tray that Scott Duxbury and Gino Pozzo will have on their uh, desks at the training ground, which they probably can't go to at the moment because of the uh, social distancing measures, mm -hmm. will be piling up with more and more documents of things that just have to wait 
because they can't be sorted out now and there's no point in sorting them out because it will be all down to what suits the division that Watford will be playing in. I think the questions over contracts also feeds into the whole integrity of completing the season and that that fairness. I think we're all aware that it's going to be very difficult to get a level playing field. But if we take Jose Holobas, sorry, Holobas as a um, as a case study, I think the chances are that that he will leave Watford in one way or the other at the end of this season. And he can leave with his head held high. He's been a he's been a great servant to Watford. I was watching the video we did for from the rookery end. Was it this time? I think it was a year before last when he was going for the record of most bookings in a season, which. (laughs) didn't quite do so he's been a bit of a cult hero for Watford but take him as a as a case study if he knew he was leaving you know contract discussions they've they've agreed that at the end of the season he'll go on a on a free but after this weekend he will be in England and still a Watford player longer than he that he would have planned and with potentially nine games still to play and that's very difficult for someone who's you know six months ago whose head or even you know two or three months ago whose head will have been looking at in different direction same to a lesser degree to Ben Foster who is a flip of a coin you think he's perhaps a little bit more level-headed and easy easier to, to work things out he'll he won't be short of offers if Watford do get relegated but the, but to rely on players um who have got a lot on their mind, you know, regardless of the, the safety. And it's interesting that some big names have started to come out to talk about the safety of restarting. But regardless of that, their personal professional careers, four of them we've just mentioned there at Watford, you're expecting them to turn it on for nine games, potentially the nine of the most important games in Watford's recent history in very, very bizarre circumstances. Mm. Um, so it all feeds into how difficult the end of this this season is going to be, doesn't it? It's it, every Everywhere you turn, there's a new strand, there's a new complication, there's new something else to, to think and talk about, which for a Watford podcast that talks about football <laughs> is a very good thing. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, we are talking about it, but we aren't the experts on talking about it. Um, but if, again, if you're uh, subscribed to The Athletic uh, and going on their website. Uh, there's lots of great stories going into great depths about this and the possibilities, uh, particularly if you listen to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast uh, that came out uh, yesterday. Uh, it was brilliant because, one, it features Sean Dyche and there's a big interview with him, so what fans will enjoy that. Uh, but also on there, David Ornstein uh, does talk about the fact that there's basically two options for these, these four players. One, you extend your contract uh, until the final day of the final game of the 2019 20 20 season whenever that actually ends or your contract ends as it was always going to be in in june and and, and i'm sure we'll find out what happens with with those fours and, and maybe some others uh, in the coming weeks maybe days uh, we'll see a podcast made by watford fans, fans for watford fans from the rookery end so, Adam, two of the stories you've been working on recently, uh, Adam, and investigating uh, deal with two young players that are on their way to Vicarage Road, hopefully, uh, but coming on slightly different routes uh, and not necessarily the most easy routes. The first one being uh, Papa Gay, who the club have announced as a Watford player who's going to be turning up in July, but he isn't having a smooth journey on that last little leg, from what my point of view is, seems to be his agent. So he's been signed on a, on a pre-contract and it was announced by Watford and it all seemed, you know, very clean and clear and crisp and it was announced officially on the website. But there seems to be um, a little bit of an issue with his agent saying that the original pre-contract was signed with another agent and this new agent seems keen um, to either get him out of this contract, which Watford 
are certainly not happy about. They're very confident that they've done all that they need to do with the the relevant authorities. Um, and also, this new agent is suggesting that Le Havre aren't happy about the nature uh, in which Papagay was signed on this pre-contract agreement. So it's all a little bit um, grey at the moment. So I think at the moment Watford are relaxed and it's certainly not at the top of their priority list. But there have been you know, a few issues in this case that I've also seen pop up in the other case that I've been looking into as well about, I know you say that they're both on their way. I mean, Papagate technically is going to become a Watford player. Uh, Mamadou Mbai looks as if he's never going to be a Watford player and certainly never wants to be in the future. Well, the thing about Mbai is the fact that this has different verifications on Watford and the maybe the, the, the whole Potso network that we talked about last time we, uh, we did a podcast together. But, you know, he seems to be a player who seems to be a little bit caught up with this whole development network that we are we are part of but also again some bad agents sort of doing things maybe not the best way of that they should yeah i mean it's a very complicated story that the title of of the article is the confusing story of watford and mamadou and bai so uh, good luck with that one everyone enjoy I look forward it. To sit- it on the west end <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> sit back relax and enjoy this one i when i posted it on social media it reminded me of a puzzle that i actually bought my mum for christmas uh, which was one of the most complicated puzzles you can get apparently which is one of just a a plate of baked beans and all you have is baked <laughs> beans so you have to try and put that one together um and it did Has feel she completed like that it? At, at times she's tried <laughs> i mean this is the perfect time to be doing it to yeah. be honest isn't it you know lockdown let's get stuck into the the beans puzzle um but basically yeah this one has left uh, has ended up at the court of arbitration for sport fifa um originally found that um and by and Cadiz, the club that he was registered with, uh, had been in breach of contract. And Cadiz were actually punished with a, a two-transfer window ban. Obviously, Cadiz and Mbai weren't happy with the FIFA punishments. And they have taken this to the Court of Arbitration for Sport to try and sort it out and to reduce the penalties that they have incurred. But I've been looking into it and it is really, really complex. So I won't go into it too in-depth, but basically it centres on Mbai's passage from Senegal to his original club in Europe, which was Cadiz. He had a contract there for only a short period of time, one season, and then it seems a whole number of different agents got involved. Uh, Watford also scouted him, and they believe that they did have a valid contract with him. But similar to the Papagay case, the authenticity of signatures on contracts and the validity of contracts has also become a, a sticking point in this case. So it is it's very interesting to actually go through his story because, I mean, if you look at it, it it's sort of a sliding doors situation because Mbai and Ismail Assar were born in exactly the same uh, city in Senegal, 
four months apart and one has had an amazing story um, and an amazing rise which has seen him end up at Watford and by as you mentioned um, John has has had a completely different situation and it almost reminds you that sometimes yes there are going to be players that uh, come into the, the the Pozzo system or any other system in football where they have been brought from um, a, a country outside of Europe into Europe um, that some will some will shine and some will get almost chewed up and, and spat out. And I do have a lot of uh, sympathy for Mamadou Mbai because also he, he sounds like he's a, he's a bit of a player as well, you know, that he's a, a tall, left-footed centre-half. It's exactly what we were looking for in the January transfer window. And if things had been different, it may well have been that he was, you know, one of the next cabs on the rank at, at Watford and, and would have been called into the squad. So it shows you sometimes how knife-edge the football industry can be and also yeah knife edge for a player can go either way but also quite cutthroat as well because Watford aren't happy with the situation and that's why they've got one of the most powerful lawyers in football defending them in this case a guy called Juan de Dios Crespo who acted for Neymar yeah he really does and he so he he um he acted for Neymar when he was involved in the small matter of leaving um, Barcelona for Paris Saint-Germain for, you know, £170 million pounds or however much it was. I think it was £200 million. Pounds. Hang on. Five, five miles, miles, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he had a bounty on his head. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's a story to sit back, read, try and understand, and then maybe come to the conclusion that I wish I hadn't even... Um, poked that wasp's nest or hornet's nest in, mm-hmm. in the first place, which, I, which is sort of a feeling that I had when I, I had to sit for a whole day trying to decipher exactly what had gone on. But it is it is very interesting and it, and it reflects that, you know, the Pozzo network and what, you know, football is at times behind the scenes is 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 very, very complicated, especially when it comes down to, to contracts. You, t- you said it quite matter-of-factly with both these uh, cases, but can I just say it's absolutely extraordinary that it's being alleged that there's forged signatures being um, being involved in this. It really is. You know, like they do those things, and I've always thought, why on earth do you do it? Those pictures of a player signing a contract <laughs> with two people next to them. It's like, yeah. that's exactly what you need to do. Here I am, here's my person and my agent and here's the person from the football club I'm signing for no way is their con- their signature going to be disputed if they've had the classic signature uh, signing of a contract picture taken I think it's worth I think it's worth pointing out that you know there isn't an accusation in either this article or any of the other articles that there has been any forgery of of signatures but both players and Bai has said it himself that he's actually brought in people to show that his signature was not his own. So he feels that strongly about it. Um, and then maybe slightly softer in the, in the gay case, there has been sort of some questions over the, the actual validity of the contract. But what it does, it, it sort of suggests to me that sometimes the systems that are in place, be it, um, you know, at FIFA, where where contracts are lodged and it's almost deemed as if the work has been done, maybe needs to have a little bit of a re refresh to it. And and the, the, the guy that's actually defending Watford 
at the Court of Arbitration for Sport did say that, yeah, look, if if the Court of Arbitration for Sport fined for Cadiz and Mbai, that this may well have quite a big impact on contractual stability in the future. So it may well sort of sound to people outside of uh, of Watford as a, as a bit of a case of, well, I'm not going to go really near that. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure it's just small fry. <laughs> it does actually have the potential to be a, a landmark case, but obviously... Watford will hope that they they don't lose this one. Again, we'll see what happens, um, yeah. and that's what the, the world of football at the moment. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Mike, are you are you still desiring the return of football? Well, I have to say, we're recording this on uh, what is known amongst Watford fans and probably Leicester fans as uh, as Deeney Day, the day that uh, Troy Deeney scored that incredible goal in the playoff final seven years ago. And just watching that and the plethora of different angles and footage that are, are available, luckily, thankfully, of that um, of that goal and. I've been getting goosebumps today watching watching that back and it has kind of reminded me for the first time what football does to us on an emotional uh, level. So uh, yeah, I've had a, a few pangs today. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't mind football coming back when it's safe, of course. I do miss it like we all do. Well, there's two things that we're going to be doing. One is on Sunday when the final game of the season would have been happening, you can see and hear or you can hear the commentary of Watford away at Arsenal uh, with updates from all the other major games that will contribute to the possible relegation of Watford uh, with Aston Villa against West Ham, Burnley against Brighton, Everton against Bournemouth. And we're going to be doing one of our make-believe final days. But... This is going to be a whole new level. We have reporters at all those games. They'll be feeding in to Colin, who will be live, sort of, at the Emirates Stadium. And you can watch it exactly like Sky Sports, with all the video print and all that sort of stuff going on, live on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash from the rookery end. So that's what's going to be going on Sunday. But also, German football is returning, Mike, and we're going to adopt a team. Yes, I think if it's if there's going to be football, we're going to be watching it. And if you're going to watch football, you need to support someone, don't you? In uh, uh, I think was it Schalke who who, who they tried their best. They tried their best. But they, well, their best was to suggest that Gerardo plays for Schalke and used to play for Watford, and that's a reason for us uh, to support them. And I think that's probably more of a reason for us not to support them. <laughs> in, in, that's a bit unfair to our, uh, our Spanish friend. I think he perhaps was a little underutilized. But yeah, Schalke have had a go. But I think we should go for. Mites. Why? Pretty simple. Watford are twinned with them, so there's a straightforward link there. But also, when you look a little bit deeper into it, they're in almost exactly the same situation in the Bundesliga as Watford are in the in the Premier League, sort of precariously positioned just outside the uh, outside the relegation zone. So they've got it all to play for, lots of work to do, and we're linked by a town twinning. So really, can there be any other team than than Mites? So we're going to be looking out for them, uh, but we're going to find out a little bit more about Mainz. So we got in touch with one of the Athletics German football correspondents, Kevin Hatchard, to find out a little bit about where Mainz are and what we could expect as newly found fans of the mighty Mainz. Jurgen Klopp's old club Mainz have had a tough season so far. In November, they made the gut-wrenching decision to part company with coach Zandro Schwarz, who had been a player for the club and a passionate fan on the terraces of the old Brookweg Stadion. He was replaced by Achim Bayerlotzer, who had himself been sacked by Köln nine days earlier. 
Bayer has failed to find consistency and has dropped talented players like left-back Aaron Martin and midfielder Pierre Koundé. Bayer is a former teacher and his decision to put high-profile players on the naughty step has proved controversial. Mines are four points above the relegation playoff spot and eight points above the automatic drop zone. If they're to avoid a first relegation since 2007, they'll have to tighten up at the back, having leaked 53 goals in just 25 games. At least they have some firepower. Swedish striker Robin Quaison is having the season of his life, having already scored two Bundesliga hat-tricks this term, while French forward Jean-Philippe Mateta is arguably the club's most saleable asset. Mainz is one of Germany's three traditional carnival cities, but nobody's starting the survival party just yet. Adam, you did a piece about the best Watford comebacks in the Pozzo era. It's a vote for the public. If you are, if you're getting this on the day we put it out on Wednesday, you still have some time to cast your vote. There are five, and we're going to say, just not going to pick which one. We're going to see what is the reason that one should be considered. You picked five, and they're all league games. You didn't exact, for example, you gave yourself a very easy task of not including the FA Cup semi-final, Adam. Well, yeah, I thought I'd go for League Ones. I don't really know why, but I did. Um, and I tried to sort of work out what defines a, a good comeback. And I went through all of them. I mean, in terms of sort of number crunching, Watford won 117 out of 319 league games since the Pozzo era began in 2012. And only 15 of those have ended in a comeback Victory. So there weren't that many to choose from, but I went through all of them um, and I sort of analysed them and, and worked out uh, which sort of should make the cut. And I came down with, to the to the final five. So the game which started it all, which wasn't the the first Pozzo game, uh, that was a, a cup game, which we'll all remember, which uh, included Chris Awelamu scoring the first goal of the uh, Pozzo era. So the first league game of the Pozzo era was that victory uh, at Selhurst Park where Watford were behind twice against Crystal Palace and I thought I'd include that one because it showed great strength to come back twice but it was also a feeling of right well this is the start of a new era and it was the introduction of two players that were were far and away a cut above what we had had previously and Obviously, the two goals and the two players that I'm talking about were scored by uh, Alman Abdi, and then the winner was scored by Matej Vidra. And I just thought that that was a that was a great comeback to sort of start off the poll. As a tone-setting game, it didn't mean anything uh, in terms of you know it, it was three points, but it wasn't a significant game. It wasn't against a big club. But my, the second game on Adam's list was a seven-two home comeback against Blackpool, what is it about that game? What is it about that game that would, 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 would put in the list for you, top of the list for you? We talked a lot about, about this season amongst ourselves and just what an incredible effort it was for Watford to get promoted because this, this came in 2015, didn't it, the year, the year we got promoted. And so much could have gone wrong that season. There were so many reasons, there were more reasons not to go up than there were two because it was so close for the entirety of the season. I actually missed this game, as is my uh, tradition for the for the most important and enjoyable <laughs> games. I'll, I'll make sure I'm not there. But so I was following this one remotely and you, you, you check your phone or whatever, check Sky Sports or, or 
your score provider. And we're at Watford 2 0 down to Blackpool, who are absolutely languishing. They're having a disastrous time of it. And it's like, right, OK, here we go. We're starting to get all Watfordy again. We knew it was coming uh, because we'd had a pretty good run up until then. This is where the, the promotion sort of uh, comes off the rails. But the exact opposite happened and Watford pulled their socks up and uh, well they pulled everything up didn't they really because they turned it around and, and ended up winning 7-2 they absolutely swept Blackpool aside in one of the most extraordinary sort of hours of, of football that you're, you're ever going to ever gonna watch I think it was just a, a, a tidal wave of, of yellow and Blackpool were absolutely hopeless to, to defend against it and I think it just sums up Watford and their determination in that season um, to, to, get the, to get promoted and to get it over the line it was an incredible effort throughout the season and that just showed that you know the, the chips weren't down as much as they possibly would be later in the season because as I said Blackpool were, were struggling but 2-0 down at home probably people like me tutting in the stands oh here we go Watford up to their old tricks again but not a bit of it they just absolutely marmalised them and again it was we talk about Palace being a, a statement this really was a statement that this isn't a Watford side that's going to get pushed aside this isn't a, a Watford side that's going to give up when the, the going gets tough and um, yeah they uh, it was a it was a message probably to the rest of the division at that stage and yeah Igalo at the height of his powers as well so yeah just it's one of those where you just watch on even though I wasn't there a bit open mouthed and delighted that it's your team doing it yeah it was the coming of age of Igalo really you know putting his mark on that team and what he continued for the rest of that season but also what I remember about that game was the half-time substitution of taking off Tommy Hoban uh, and putting on Ben Watson that really sort of felt like that that changed the game now the next one Adam is the only other one apart from the Palace one uh, away game and it was an away trip to the London Stadium where Mike and I were at that game and uh, there was a certain cameo and it can only be described as a cameo uh, in that game but what particularly was this game was it just because it was the make the starting of the season again, but so late in the season under Walter? I think it was, and I wanted to mention the fact that a, a couple of other um, comebacks prior to this one were considered but didn't go in. And they were two victories in the 2014-15 season against Brentford. Uh, where we came from behind a one uh, at Griffin Park. And then also we won at um, Leeds, having been two goals down a 1-3-2. And they were great uh, comebacks and they were away from home. But then I sort of thought, well, hang on a minute. I want to ensure that the the standard of football is also reflected in the um, the comebacks that are being talked about. And the fact that Watford were 2-0 down against West Ham, it was relatively early on in the season and it was the nature of it as well because if you'll remember when Watford went 2-0 down against West Ham Dimitri Payet Rabona crossed into Mikhail Antonio and I saw that at the time and I, I think I'm pretty sure I was watching it uh, in the studio at Sky Sports sort of being on shift on, on a Saturday and thinking oh right okay here we go we're gonna just gonna lose again but it was Dimitri Payet doing a Rabona that annoyed me I was looking for another word there <laughs> annoyed me to the level that I thought I hope that has also annoyed the Watford team and it seemed to do that and then by half time it was 2-2 Deeney had scored that great curling lob which was a fantastic goal then obviously two more goals with with Holobas scoring and and Kapu and the cameo I guess you're talking are you talking about a car I am indeed yeah and sort of running into a few people and then Pulling a hamstring. I think as Mike described him on that podcast, he was a telephone box in a Watford shirt. 
<laughs> but with but with, a, but with a great a great little flicky touch at yeah. times, yeah. which was yeah. which was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I just thought I'd put that one in there, and also just in a in you know I know that Walter uh, or Walter Mazzari um, went down like a lead balloon at, at Watford, but that was a decent performance from him, and I, and I think that we then went on and beat Manchester United as well. So that was his probably his his finest his finest hour so i thought i'd just give him a little bit of a little bit of credit why not it was our first trip to the to the uh, london stadium wasn't it mike it was and it was uh, that was one of those games that it's just so incredibly joyous i think as adam alluded to there you're two nil down quite early west ham turning on the side i think oh god this is going to get very tiresome very quickly but got back into it in the blink of an eye really before half time and then when those two two goals came in the second half sometimes I reckon most people listening to, to this will understand what I mean even if I don't articulate it correctly but you're so happy you're so excited and you celebrate the, the goals with such gusto you literally feel everything coming out out of your body you, you can feel that all the energy just being expelled from your body in the in the celebrations you're so happy you're so excited you're so full of joy and that was one of those times where you just celebrate so hard you've got nothing nothing left to give it was a, it was so unexpected and so joyous and and a really really good Watford performance as well let's not let's not take away from that but yeah I remember it just being just on absolute cloud nine and one of those uh, that I'll remember for a long time you say about celebrating uh, in that game because of the comeback and, and winning a game but the celebrations on the next game where Watford's yeah. 2-1 home win against Arsenal in 2017 with a very very late goal for Mr Tom Cleverley now that was Brilliant. a release of energy wasn't it Oh, just the noise when it went in. It was febrile. It was just, I've never heard Vicarage Road as loud as that, or at least very, very rarely. It was just an outpouring of, if the the, the West Ham one was more, um, not a laugh, more jovial because it was so unexpected. This one was just a, a more fierce uh, release of, uh, of delight, but also, I think, excitement. Because I think if you look at this game in, in context, that took Watford up. I think at the when the final whistle blew, Watford were in fourth in the Premier League, and not just at, uh, in fourth position, but playing some really, really good football. And I remember sitting there, um, taking twenty minutes or so to calm down and get let the adrenaline subside, and sort of trying to piece together what it what it meant. And it felt like Watford were playing with the big boys. It felt like Watford had genuinely genuinely arrived on the on the Premier League stage at that time because Watford were playing some really, really good stuff under Marco Silva and obviously it went it went wrong very quickly. So there was just the excitement of that last minute goal against a big team in Arsenal. Uh, the comprehensive way in which cleverly just smashed it into the back of the net. It was <laughs> we were all kicking that ball, weren't we? And there was no way it was going to go anywhere other than the, the back of the net. But there's that excitement, that belief that we could really be on to something as a as a football club because we we'd suffered the last couple of years. We talked about Walter Mazzari and under under Kike the year before that we'd had really good starts, but we had to we've had. We'd, we'd had really good results, but we'd had to grind grind them out, really. We didn't really feel like we necessarily deserved it, uh, to be eating at the top table. But after this game, it's like, my gosh, we could really do something in the in the Premier League this year. It was an incredibly exciting moment and an incredibly exciting time uh, to be a Watford supporter. It proved to be short-lived, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, the, the atmosphere, I'll, I'll never, ever forget that. I was in the, I was in the Elton John um, stand. I was in the, in, the, in the press area and just the, the noise was just, it went right through 
through you. It was like a, it was like a sonic boom. It was just awesome, absolutely awesome. And they, I mentioned it's Troy Deeney day today, but they're the sort of moments you live for as a, as a Watford fan. It's just a, a comprehensive finish and a wild celebration. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Also referred to as the Coners game, Adam uh, and Troy really showing it off. And you could, you maybe you can say yes, it is beating Arsenal, but that wasn't. The un- invincible Arsenal. It wasn't Arsenal at their very, very best, but it was still. But the final game, the home 2-1 win against Tottenham, was a Tottenham team who were and had been doing remarkably well. They had, and they would end the season in the Champions League final. And this was when Watford, you know, like Mike said about the, the season when we beat Arsenal, this was Watford going up against one of the only other teams that had a 100% record but everyone thinking oh well you know it's it's against Tottenham we'll we'll probably come unstuck in this one but we went toe-to-toe with them and even when we went down a goal and um, Abdullah Decore scored the own goal it was a really sort of um, unlucky own goal as well they just thought right come on let's let's go at them again and you know like with the the Arsenal victory I you remember it from from your own experiences of the situation I wasn't at the Arsenal game I was watching it at home one of the first games that I watched in full at home with my son on the sofa and for it to end like that with cleverly scoring he remembers it to this day I mentioned it to the I mentioned it to him when we were having lunch I think just a, a couple of days ago and he was like oh yeah Deeney scored and then Cleverly. And that's that's always made Tom Cleverly a hero for him. And I think it, it, it always will. But with this Tottenham game, I remember being um, at the Watford Palace Theatre because we were preparing for the Tales from the Vicarage live event that was going on that evening. And I was watching it set up on the stage. That's where my laptop was going to be for that evening. So I had it set up in the theatre, which was completely empty. And seeing Deeney score and then very soon afterwards Cathcart scoring as well. It was absolutely brilliant, but contrasting to the actual atmosphere inside the stadium because I was in a completely (laughs) silent theatre. But then I remember when everyone was um, coming into the theatre that evening, the atmosphere, having been such a hot and sunny day, everyone was literally, I mean, not not in a bad way, but literally everyone was just steaming in the the (laughs) theatre. Just everything was just coming out of them. It was fantastic. Yeah, I just thought that 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 was a comeback whereby I think that was probably... If you look at it in the context of the season, the fact that we finished uh, the highest that we had done in, in the Premier League, that was probably our best comeback in terms of playing against a team that was absolutely flying as well. So yeah. it's going to be intriguing to see who who wins it. Will it be the the Palace one? Will it be the Blackpool one, the West Ham one, the Arsenal one, or, the, or that Tottenham one? Who would you two vote for if you had to pick one of those five? I think I, I sort of want to pick the West Ham away. Really? Yeah. I think because I had that moment of, of this is going to be hell and they're mm. going to score five is what yes. I felt. Yeah, the Blackpool felt like we'd, we'd get back at least get a draw. The Arsenal, the Tottenham game was like, we've done something special, but I didn't have that low pit feeling of we're going to get trounced by West Ham. I think performance-wise, I think for me it has to be Tottenham. West Ham and, and Palace were nice. Blackpool was important in the, in the context of the season. Arsenal, amazing atmosphere, 
proved to be a bit of a false dawn. But I think the Tottenham one, especially because we hadn't beaten Tottenham for a long time in the in the league mm. as well, and so it's and a lot of people have had to go to school with you know growing up in Watford or the environs. You you will have undoubtedly come into people who live a lot closer to Watford than they do to North London and have ended up supporting Spurs <laughs> instead of Watford. So from a bragging rights point of view, that was huge. But I also think just the performance. You know, Tottenham went on to finish in the in the Champions League. Pochettino is at the at the height of his powers. There's, there's a, players who um, are good at making sure tight games go their way in that in that Tottenham side, and to overcome them in the in the fashion there was in they did. I think I think a lot of people were incredibly proud of of Watford that afternoon, and it it made it four wins in four, didn't it? And as a result of that, there was a lot of um, press and media attention on Watford throughout the throughout the world. So for that week, uh, Watford was very much the focal point of the of the footballing world, and that uh, that was great. And I just think the performance in isolation, um, I think that beating. beating Beating that Tottenham side, having been one nil down at, at home, was uh, was pretty extraordinary, and uh, hopefully there'll be plenty more big name scalps to come. When will we find out the public vote winner, Adam? I'm pretty sure it's on Thursday of this week, so um, we'll we'll announce it on the on the Athletic, and you will you'll know exactly uh, what's going on and the sort of the percentage of the votes as well. We've still got time. You've still got time to vote if you're a subscriber. Then you can go online and vote uh, at theathletic.com. If you're not, then of course you can sign up for a 90 day free trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. I'm just going to put my vote in now. There we go. Thank you very much, Mike. No, not a problem. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. And thank you very much, Adam. No problem, gents. Great to uh, speak to you once again. And just one quick point. If you are listening on the Athletic app, uh, there is that new sort of uh, feature now where you can leave comments on the podcast episode as well. So if we've been talking about anything of particular note in this one that has interested you or you wanted to ask any sort of follow-up questions, uh, you can leave a comment if you're listening via the app as well. Fantastic. Uh, we will be back with, uh, I guess we said on Sunday, the live commentary of Watford away at Arsenal for the last day of the season and the last time Colin will put his imagination uh, into work. Uh, watch that on youtube.com forward slash from the rookery end uh, or via the podcast feed. And uh, we'll be back again with some more 100 objects uh, and also just seeing how, uh, how minds do in the Bundesliga. Come on, you horns! And mites.